0: Today, I'm with Karen Holst, entrepreneur turned entrepreneur. She co-founded an education tech startup in Austin, Texas, and later went on to join IDEO and then led innovation at Autodesk. She's currently teaching at LinkedIn Learning and most recently co-authored the book, Start Within, How to Sell Your Idea, Overcome Roadblocks, and Love Your Job. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, thank you. So, Karen, I'd love to start with a little bit about how you got started.
1: Sure. So, I, my junior year in college, had met two guys at my rival university. I went to the University of Texas, and they went to Texas A&M. I'd heard about a company that they were thinking about starting, and I just had all, I was brimming with ideas on what I could do to make this, this happen. And I approached them and said they needed to bring me on board, and it, we just clicked, and I became a co-founder and we launched the company. We then grew it through multiple rounds of funding and then ended up you know, seeing a successful exit. So my, my first job was really a job I created. And then from that point on, saw that over and over throughout my career. Joined the California Department of Education and helping lead educational technology within the state. And that was really about bringing you know, new tools and services into the classroom and, and figuring out how to make that process more smooth and get through the red tape. After that, joined IDEO and helped them launch IDOU, which is an online learning platform teaching design thinking and creative problem solving. And had this moment of really enjoying the launching of ideas within existing structures. That being an entrepreneur, I thought I needed to own the idea, but it shifted. I can own the idea anywhere that I work. So then I was able to just go follow the shiny problems. Uh, later joined I- Autodesk in their media and entertainment space and helping them innovate and gotten to do lots of projects within, you know, corporations, nonprofits, government agencies since then. And that all led to writing the book,
0: Start Within. Exciting. So if you could change one thing about most meetings, what would it be?
1: That everybody comes in with an understanding of the goal, I, I think that sounds so simple, but it 's you know just having the same meeting over and over and feeling like you 're not moving the ball any further down the field is one of the most frustrating experiences
0: yeah, and you know I think that aligns with quite a quite a few of our meeting mantras and philosophies about meetings and Two that, that come to mind is this uh, this idea of never starting without a clear purpose. So purpose and goal or, or you know, at least cousins. And then also you, you talked about kind of this groundhog day kind of feeling of just like the meetings just kind of repeating themselves. And I think often not being clear on if we're, you know, ideating or making a decision or and if we're meeting a decision, what's the process by which we're going to make that decision?
1: Yeah, and I feel like people get in the way of the goals. so even when they're well you know communicated and advanced in alignment, egos can get in the way where either people are just really married to their ideas and wanting that to you know <laughs> try to drive the, the meeting around that notion, or they're just, you know blindly and accidentally perhaps, getting in the way of progress because it, they're just stuck in the ego side of things.
0: Yeah. And I didn't intend on it, but the Groundhog Day analogy came out and we talk about that in the book, you know, this notion of like, is everything kind of repeating itself? And are you just kind of stuck in the hamster wheel of the day to day and and feeling just, you know, inundated with monotony? And so maybe, maybe let's talk a little bit about that feeling and and how the book can kind of help guide you out of that feeling in that situation.
1: Yeah. So as humans, we are wired to innovate. We're wired to like see creativity and make the mundane not mundane. And you think about while we're recording this we're it's during the COVID pandemic and we're seeing this everywhere. People are taking up new hobbies. My toddler son is asking me to read the kids books and different voices or to change the the ending of the book just because we're so bored of every day feeling like the day before. And if we're wired for that, what's holding us back from actually doing that? And I think meetings being such a big part of our work are a key place to really energize the life and job and and work that you're doing. And a lot of what we talk about in the book is to find that purpose and breathe new life into your job so that you love it, so that you feel passionate about it, so there's lots of steps in in that process and how to make that happen throughout the book.
0: And when you think about all the steps and someone wanting to just get started, in your perspective, is it just to pick up the book and jump into the first chapter? Or is it more of a choose your own adventure where it's like this this might apply more to me? Like how maybe help guide the reader, the doer into to how they uh, how they might dive in. Yeah, that's
1: a great. Great analogy. The, the choose your adventure. I say it's more like that. The, you know, the process and work of bringing an idea forward is not linear. So there's different places that you're going to start from and that you're going to get stuck and need assistance. The book reads that way. You can just jump in where you need to. And then I I say proceed with caution because as humans, we're also wired to kind of go after the things that we're most comfortable. And that's okay to start where you're comfortable, but not to ignore the places where we need to grow. So as an example, I think about the structure of the book. It's set up in three sections, get ready, get set, and go. And I am a go gal through and through. I want to start prototyping and experimenting my way forward. And it takes discipline to do the work of the get ready and get set. And if I pick up the book as a lay reader, I might just dive right into the go because that's where I want to get started. But that's a place that I'm already pretty skilled at. And where I would really benefit is you know, perhaps starting there, but then making sure that I'm going back through the other sections and phases of this work and, and building those muscles as well. So it's very similar to working out. You know, we, we feel great when we do that same elliptical machine or whatever, you know, weights that we're into. But when we challenge ourselves to do a new machine or new, new exercise, our muscles start to, to learn new ways of working.
0: Yeah, I love that analogy of kind of cross-training. It's uh, incredible. And I often like to think about the maturity of a project. And so, if we're two years into something, you know, the book might mean something different to us than if we're about to start something or we've been afraid to start something. So, I, I like the fact that it can really help folks no matter where they are in the journey.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I I was talking to someone about this. And in the book, we talk about the when you're doing a new idea and trying to push something forward, that there's this, you know, for every 80 hours of work that you put towards your project, there's two hours of work and communicating that with your team and bringing, bringing along stakeholders. And I've gotten pushback from people that said, wow, that's a lot of communication, you know, that you're spending time on. And then others saying that is totally not enough to bring stakeholders along. And I think, that rule of thumb can be shifted based on where you're at in the project and, and trying to make new things happen. And that context is important as you go through this work, right? Like you're going to have a a playbook through things like start within, and then you have to intuit what is and isn't working. And then, you know, kind of fine tune things beyond that.
0: Yeah. And you know, also think about, uh, was it Malcolm Gladwell that said 10,000 hours of anything will make you an expert. And, there have been people that have pushed back on that concept of like, well, if you're doing it wrong for ten thousand hours, you're just gonna become an expert in doing it wrong. And I like to think that this book has provided folks with some with some real kind of tactical and very actionable advice to to where as you're getting your reps in, you can you can start to tweak the the, the way you go about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To that point of the ten thousand hours, it's it's definitely about the practice of doing the work and it's also letting go of the idea that this is only for the charismatic, extroverted people, you know, the, the one that you see standing out there and getting to do new things, it does not have to be exclusive to certain types of people. It can be learned.
0: Yeah, I love the idea that we can put it into practice and we can hone that skill. And to bring back to the, the fitness analogy, we, we can strengthen those muscles. Right, right. So you've had experience at small companies and big companies, public and private, even consulting and and in-house, I'm really curious, you know, with your vantage point across all these different types of companies, what are some of the differences that you've seen as far as like meeting cultures and ability to co-create and collaborate? Just what kind of patterns have you noticed?
1: Yes. I love that idea of a, a meeting culture because going in, understanding that, and even using that term for yourself really allows you to then go in with the anthropologist view of like, here's how it's done. And where can I find opportunities of changing that and making it better? So every company that I've ever worked with, nonprofit, large, big, small, have different ways of doing their work, right? The the informal written and written rules of um, how meetings should run. It changes based on team. It changes based on who's running it. But the theme at the bottom of all of that is like you're having these meetings an expectation that it will lead to something. So if you can take a step back and look at how meetings are being run, and how efficiently and quickly you're able to go out and do the work post meetings, then you have the opportunity to reflect and say, where are there opportunities to make the improvements? I think the most stark difference was at the California Department of Education. So I was coming from a startup where, you know, we're doing Scrum, we're doing stand-up, we're doing lots of fast moving meetings. And then at the California Department of Education, they weren't. And it it wasn't a criticism. It was a different way of thinking, a different framework that when I went in felt so uncomfortable, I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> when are we gonna start picking up the pace and, and start taking action? And if I went in there and behaved like that, like a cowboy, you know, here to change things up, it it would have really turned people off. I I needed to learn how they did things to then be able to create the right changes and grow together. You know, it it allowed me to be more thoughtful in my approach. It also allowed the team to evolve in how we did our meetings.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's something we've talked about extensively. And I think it's a really keen insight that people really need to consider, which is you can change the process. You can change the method. You can change the corporate goals and objectives. But if you seek to do those things, it's going to be really difficult to also push your idea. And in fact, the method, the process, and the goals and the objective—those are two separate things that are best done in isolation. If you're trying to change all that at the same time, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. It's hard enough to to make any change, much less just glom a bunch on at the same time.
1: Imagine going into a room and you you look at a person who is writing with their right hand and you say, all right, switch switch to your left hand. And I want you to close your eyes. And instead of writing in English, write in a different language. That would just overload the person. <laughs> like, how do I think about all three of these things you're trying to get me to do? And in pushing an idea forward within an organization, whether that's you know improving meeting outcomes all the way to launching a new idea, if you're trying to bend and shape things in multiple areas, you're just going to overload the humans that you're trying to bring along in this. So it's really about focusing in on the thing that can have the biggest impact. And then you can go back and and after having made that change and seeing the change in place, reapply and and do different layers of of changes.
0: That's right. And, you know, I I'd even take the analogy one step further, which is, you know, if they're doing all those things, and then we're also trying to tell them, like, let's go about, let's actually uh, write some different things on the wall, like, let's, let's like bring bring on a whole new concept, and, like, right. and put that up there. You can see how it just starts to get absurd. And um, yeah, that's uh, a trap that a lot of people fall into because you know when it's almost like the whole, like, well, we got the patient open, let's let's go ahead and make all these changes. Like, we're we're operating on their lungs. Let's let's, uh, let's work on their heart too. It's like. Maybe not the best decision.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, meetings, it is such a part of our work and the culture of where we work that it, you know, at the very root could be the cause of dysfunction and what's going on. So I, I love that being a place of of leaning in and trying to improve.
0: So let's also take a step back and think about, I, I love this, this notion that you talked about um, being an anthropologist. And, you know, in the book, we talk about, this element of house rules and you know understanding how things work at your organization so you can navigate it better, then we we were just kind of discussing this need to 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 clarify and understand are we changing the process or are we pushing some other idea forward and I think that metaphor of the anthropologist is really powerful because. We at Voltage Control do a lot of work where we're, we're analyzing the meeting systems or helping people understand it, and like, what does that culture look like, and what sort of systems are going to support a culture that we are aspiring to be to have, instead of just kind of going full force into into the change, like really thinking about, do we need to be that anthropologist? Are we actually going in to make change? And so, if we're in that mode of anthropologists, what sorts of things do we need to do? How might we put that anthropologist hat on and be really successful at understanding what's in front of us and how we might take advantage of it or how how we might just respond to, to, to those understandings?
1: So, in doing this work, it's very hard, but you have to take out your experience elsewhere. So, typically, when i coach people through trying to do this kind of work there's a urge to think back to where you saw it working like great meetings so we want to do it like that i came from amazon we did it like this and it was great we got we got really far and things you know we were able to make changes and and go out and do quickly that doesn't mean it's going to work somewhere else so you have to remove that lens of what i've seen is the right way and i'm going to you know figure out how to force that fit that puzzle piece Instead, being an anthropologist is really trying to just open up and learn. So it's not directing the learning. It's not, you know, that one person's going to teach you. So you want to lean in on that person. It's really just trying to open the aperture and figure out, you know, where are there these aha moments on what is and isn't working? And, you know, just going back to the, the root of that word, if you were going into a village, you wouldn't go into, you know, a remote village and expect to be able to instill your values and in how you do things and expect this group of people that have a completely different background to, to take that on. Instead, you're going in to learn from them and, you know, build something together. And, and I think that's, that's hard to do. So it's, it's starting with that beginner's mindset.
0: We also talk about cross-examining the silos and then, you know, questions that get to real learning. And I think that questions can be really powerful and listening and observing is kind of that anthropologist hat that you kind of speak of and my perspective if you can get down to actual first principles and understand or what are people already upset about <laughs> you know if, if there are things about the the meeting systems or the the methods and the and the, the process that your organization is using that everyone's already disgruntled about then that's low hanging fruit to go after but you can't learn that stuff unless you get curious and start to examine the silos and and start to listen and and learn and to me that uh, I think that's a real po- powerful opportunity and I'm just curious to hear if you have have anything to add there
1: yeah i I think the other opportunity in all this if you're going in with this mindset, it allows you to make changes without authority so even if you're not the person who's running the meetings, you can affect how they're run and how effective they are over time. Now, certainly it, it might be easier if you're, you know, the person of authority to do this work, but it's not a barrier to, to making things change and happen. You can lead by example. And this all starts with you know learning and listening and figuring it out as you go forward. But I, I think that is one of the biggest barriers to this kind of work and, and making change within an organization is the belief that. If you don't have the title or permission, then you, you you're just kind of a pr- active participant that has to go along with the way things are.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting meeting dynamic too, right? Like if if the if the meetings are set up such that um, there's there are active participants and not so active participants um, that r- the distribution of control and and influence and participation can be quite skewed. I'm just curious if if you've experienced that and, and what thoughts you might have to offer there.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, whenever you're not in charge and someone else is, it might be a meeting you called, but your boss or leadership come into the room as well. That shifts everything, right? Like the, you look at them and they have an understanding of how the meeting should go and you report to them. So there's a understanding that you will run the meeting the way they expect it. So you kind of have to shift your own expectations and your own approaches to fit what they believe is the right way forward, even if it isn't sometimes. And and so all of that just points to these baby steps, these baby experiments that can get you closer to making those changes if you don't have the authority to, to make it happen. And even when you do, that there's, again, ego in the room or belief systems in the room that there's a way to do it. The little experiments, the small steps are what can lead to big change over time.
0: You know, it's funny that you say that because it reminds me of times as a leader when my intention was to coach and to show alternative ways of doing things. But I basically just created little mini me versions of me. And that can be difficult to notice sometimes. And so, we talk a lot about how the the book was really inspired by this Um, idea that so many innovation books are focused on the leader and innovation culture and this kind of top-down, like how are we going to shift the organization? And our belief was, you know, the best way to shift an organization is a direction from leadership, but empowering the doers to go do the work. And so, we really wanted to have a manual for the doer. Now, even though it's a manual for the doer, this is a great tool for the leader because they can Take this, take this book, and you know, give it out to their their folks, and use it as a guide for them to be a better coach. And as I've thought about my coaching, even the sometimes the best intentions can backfire. And just really paying attention that you know, have I created a mold of myself that needs to be broken so that they they're free to to go about doing things the way they would do them, so that we have true diversity.
1: Yes, I advise startups, and I just had a session. This week with a startup that is in the educational technology space. And so it was one that I was really well versed, but also a few years removed. And he wanted to talk about some of the approaches to funding and then later marketing that we did. And I went into some coaching lessons. And then I paused and said, you know, you're in a different time and (laughs) a different product. So Here's what we did. Now I'm going to start asking you questions that are, you know, kind of the extreme other sides to this. Don't just follow the the cookie cutter of what I just shared with you. What are ways that you're going to be different? And I think if you yeah. intuited your way that you're creating many U's, which is a great eye opening. Like, how do I not do that? Right? Because we just don't want a world full of people like ourselves. A lot of that is because we've got experience in what does and doesn't work for ourselves. And so, we reflect that on others. But if we can pause on that and say, what did and didn't work on me might be you know, in opposition to the person I'm talking to, can we just reframe the questions to say, you know, how might we and then don't lead it towards your solution. Instead, think about these might be the ideas that do work for them or, or what worked for me is, is not going to work for them.
0: There's another another really beautiful way to approach that, which is just being appreciative right recognizing and and being appreciative of everyone's input and contributions and it, it, sociologists have a term called positive deviance, and it basically it sounds like sounds almost like deviant, but <laughs> it, it's really about um making sure that we look at those positive differences like what are those deltas that are positive so when things have been working well. What were we doing? And often, I think it's easy to look at like, well, when I did it this way, I got this positive outcome. Having that dialogue with others can be can be really powerful, and really kind of kind of lifting them up on the pedestal. And then and then it kind of relinquishes that burden to feel like, hey, here's here, here's this process that I need to um, burden you with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, they, that, that word needs to be rebranded so that people will be more open to it. But yeah, I think there's opportunities to reflect on what does and doesn't work and what, how that reflects on yourself and the people around you. So again, it's not the cookie cutter answer and formula that works for me will work for these other people, but instead it's framing it in questions to allow them to explore that on their own.
0: Yeah, I love this. I I'd, I'd already written down questions and underlined it because I wanted to come back to that. Cause you were starting to give some advice to your mentee, and then you stopped yourself and said, Well, let me ask some questions. And I think that is the hallmark of a really great leader and a great facilitator is to ask really incredible questions. And I think this advice, it just dawned on me can apply to not only the leaders, because it's very clear, like, hey leaders, like Ask more provocative questions of your people. And for the doers, it can be equally as powerful because if you're if are if your boss, if your leader is not asking you tough questions and they're doing nothing but giving you advice or criticizing, perhaps you can prompt them to ask you questions.
1: Ooh, I love that. Yeah, get them curious. So in my startup days, you know, there were really tough meetings with our board, with our investors. And I learned early in my career how to handle those types of meetings. And then later, I started working at IDEO and had a meeting with Tim Brown and other people that were, I'm doing air quotes, invested in our idea because we're launching this idea within the company. And so I was ready for what questions I would hear based on that experience of, you know, these tough investors and, and what they asked me in my years prior. And Tim Brown and the leaders there asked such thoughtful questions that floored me. And it really shifted my thinking and how to do this work. I thought it had to be, you know, bottom line growth. And there's other questions around this, you know, kind of work and, and pushing ideas forward that are far more thoughtful around the humans you're building it for that will lead to growth and, you know, business strategy. So it's not leaving it at the, on the table, but instead it's it's more thoughtful and deeper than that. And I think when we have productive meetings and, you know, great purpose in our work and what we're doing at the root of it, somebody was asking very thoughtful questions and you can choose to be that person. And if you are that person, I think to your point, you can get others around you very curious, like it's, it's contagious. You know, when you're being a thoughtful person and, and really trying to understand things, you'll start to see that shift among others as well.
0: You know, I think that especially in your LinkedIn learning course, and I would say a a good chunk of our listeners are product people. And I once heard this really profound description of a great product person. And it was that a product person is interested, not interesting, meaning that if you come to a conversation and you try to be interesting, then you're going to share a lot of things. You're going to talk a lot. You're going to tell stories. You're going to try to be cool and hip and like, oh, I know, I know this, I know that. Whereas if you're interested, then you're curious. You ask lots of questions. You discover all the pertinent things. That always just really stuck with me is that, you know, even if I'm in the room with someone who is intimidating and I feel like I need to impress, the best way to impress them is to ask them great questions.
1: So I went to a Super Bowl party. Uh, I was living in Canada. And it was at my neighbor's house. And they're not really into American football. It was just something to do on a Sunday. And in the room was a former astronaut and minister, I I believe, of transportation, I'm sorry, I don't know his title, who has one of the most fascinating backgrounds. And he asked me I couldn't get to questions about his background and what he did. He wanted to know more about startups and the book I was writing. And, you know, we get about an hour in, I'm like, okay, can we talk about what it's like to be an astronaut? And I just remember leaving there thinking he was so gifted in exploring the world around him. And it made complete sense that he had, you know, gotten to the point that he had in his career, but that he, he could have very well have been a person that was full of himself and, and talking about all the important things he's done. And instead, he wanted to learn about me
0: that's the hallmark of an amazing person and that's that's cool that you got to witness that especially with someone who has already made such great um, accomplishments because sometimes those traits those that innate kind of curiosity can can wane with popularity and accolades so it's it's always amazing when i when i find someone that's you know had some amount of you know fame and notoriety and they've held on to that cuz it's a it's a gift and it's and it's pretty rare
1: I think they're also gifted at finding time and space for allowing those conversations. So, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, a CEO or someone very busy and important can brush you off and make you feel unimportant and not be listening to your answers or, you know, not even interested in having the conversation in the first place. And when you are tight on resource for time, that can change who you are and you have to find opportunities to still be productive, but also learning and listening from each other.
0: Yep. that's uh, That aligns with one of my philosophies, which is that when you create space, that's when innovation can rush in. If you're constantly whizzing and worrying to and fro the next thing and pressing the buttons, there's really no opportunity for change or, or new things to, to develop.
1: Yep. If you think about it in meditation or yoga, it's the space between breaths. We're doing this work of breathing and being thoughtful. And then it's in between those moments that you have these eye opening kind of uh, out of body experiences.
0: So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and just talk about tactics. So, really curious about what you've seen teams use to get unstuck and start building on their vision.
1: So we recently talked to a woman within a software company and, you know, they're, they're a very large company and been around for many years. And she was really excited about bringing back to her product teams, our chapter and work around, you know, busting assumptions. And that was so refreshing. You know, this is a company that has figured out a way forward, they can continue to build and, and move, you know, beyond doing things the way they had been. But instead, she and the the organization realized they needed to reflect on what's holding back their ideas, what's holding things from becoming something bigger and innovation, you know, how they're holding back innovation. And I, I think that's an exercise we could do with our teams, you know, get out of the rut of, you know, what things should look like and have looked like and how you might do things differently. In thinking about assumptions there's this onion of layers right At the very core is the assumptions that you hold on to and then as you build out it's you know the assumptions of the team of the organization and then you you go all the way out to like the world that we live within and if you can think about each of those layers and how they're blocking you from change from seeing things from understanding each other then that can unlock you, the team, and how you work together, the work that you're doing. It, it, there's so many. It's exponential levels on on you know ways of thinking, and it's a great framework for just moving forward and doing things differently.
0: You know, it makes me think that earlier we were talking about meeting systems and meeting culture, and when when and why we meet, and you know what's the goal and what's the purpose, and you know, so often meetings are just called to discuss something or um or you know make some quick decision and. I get really excited when people start to open the aperture and to think about, oh, well, what if we meet to talk about our assumptions or how about we make a team charter? So these more kind of meta conversations about the team, the way we work and things that might be getting in our way because those types of things can have really profound ripple effects versus just being so into the tactical, like moving things forward or having for better status report. And so I love this this idea of coming together around assumptions even applying some of the tools in the book that are kind of designed for an individual, just kind of repurposing that for the, for the team.
1: Yes. Going back, you know, it deeper into the tactical and, and beyond assumptions. One of my favorite exercises in the book that you can do solo or that you could bring to a team and do together is a no, because maybe if then what, and you, you start with these three columns of, 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 No because, maybe if, then what? And you think about this, you know, something that's blocking you and your team from moving forward on something. And you just brainstorm all the no becauses. You know, no because we don't have the resources. No because, you capture each one of those on a post-it note. And then you pause and you go into the next column, maybe if. So no, because we don't have the resources, maybe if we prototype the smaller that didn't require as much resources, or maybe if we found funding outside of our organization, or maybe if you you go through that same exercise for each no, because, and you start to brainstorm the maybe ifs, you can take a step back. And when you're doing this by yourself, kind of circle where there's heat, or if you're doing this with a team, you could do voting, but moving beyond and really counterattacking the no, because with a then what you know, what are the small experiments that you could be doing to get past this roadblock, You could pass a barrier that is seemingly holding everybody back? And doing this work over and over with different people and teams, you see this very simple exercise open up people's thinking into, all right, you know, I, I tangibly have something to go after. This feels so much better than the crossed arms and uh, this is hard and, and, and the roadblock being right in front of them.
0: It's really cool. I'm, I'm excited because we're, we're working on some templates on mural and they'll be, they'll be launched. And, you know, if uh, someone's listening to this in the future, I would say just go and, and check out the mural templates because they're probably ready at that point.
1: Yep. Start within.
0: And, you know, the, the other thing I was thinking about was this notion of unlearning and, you know, constantly being curious and open to reinventing ourselves and I think that that kind of aligns with a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today, whether it's like creating that space as a leader or coming together as a team to look at these assumptions and just making sure that we've got some time reserved to uh, just to allow some of that stuff to happen, you know, and just being curious about what we might not realize about the world or about our idea or about our team I guess I'm curious to uh, to hear what uh, what what else folks should be thinking about in that regard. So I do
1: have on my reading list Barry O'Reilly's book Unlearn, and so I haven't read it. I'm going to stop with that because I think that is so hard to do. It's even when you say it, you think, okay, I've accepted that I'm going to to let go of my assumptions and and try to lean in and and unlearn some of the bad habits or maybe good habits so I can find new ways of doing things. We are, again, we are wired to take the inputs that we've had over our lifetime and have that help us move forward. And it is not always obvious where those are, how they're holding you back or how they might be helping you too. So that's a book I want to lean into this year and, and see if that's a place of exploration. But where I try to do that is Stepping back and creating different roles for myself. So, when we talk about this in the book, if you're a person who is very positive, a yes and and like trying to push things forward, could you go into a meeting and, you know, before it even starts, say, I'm going to be the naysayer. I'm going to poke holes in some of these ideas. And you, person over there, you're going to be the positive person. Or we have different roles and maybe we're shifting what we typically lean into and think about things differently. And how would that dynamic? change the meeting. It's not you know, meant to be comical and uh, necessarily a, a strange meeting that is just run uh, amok and, and feels like a comedy show because you're trying to be a naysayer and you just aren't. It's really just about trying to turn your brain into thinking one way into thinking a different way and how that helps lead the team in a different direction.
0: I love this idea of, um, you know, Examining the roles and even shifting them and trying on different roles. And I think not to, not to overload the term role, but role playing can, can be really a phenomenal way to have a new lens into the world. And, and also certainly will disrupt how your teammates think. And, you know, we, we also have, have talked about the idea of um, taxonomy, and so how can even the, the words that we use to talk about meetings can have an impact? So, for instance, um, it, the problem is that we just gravitate to using the word meeting and it's just what we naturally do. And so it doesn't matter if we're assembling, you know, 20 people to talk about how well the project went or we're, we're it's just two of us having a quick chat about what we're going to have for lunch. Like we call it a meeting. And, and I think that is a disservice because it doesn't allow for a clear understanding of the purpose. And that's something we kind of started off with when I asked, you know, what was the one thing you would change about meetings is about, you said, you know, we need to be more clear about the goals. And so, I really love this concept of like shifting the roles, examining what those roles are and and trying new things on because that r- can really align with us understanding our purpose and and even pursuing our purpose more deeply.
1: Yes. And, and that jargon, again, comes back to the meeting culture. So you say meeting, it means one thing at one company, it means another at another. And I saw this happen with calling a brainstorm. So doing a brainstorm from one company where, you know, we're standing up, we're active, we're putting post-it notes up, there's lots of conversations happening, lots of ideation. And then you go to another company that doesn't brainstorm that way. They do have brainstorm meetings. You go into it and people are sitting, they're taking notes on their little notepad. And it it can be frustrating if that's not, you know, it was frustrating to me. It was like, why why aren't we all standing up and talking? And to them, they were like, Why are you trying to force this other way of doing a brainstorm? So I, I think the the terms also have different meaning within teams, you know, across an organization and, and certainly within an organization.
0: So Karen, in closing, what would you like to leave with our listeners?
1: I think what's key in this moment, whenever you're listening, if it's recent to when it's posted, it's it's around the COVID pandemic and we're working from home and things, you know, are very confusing and or we're beyond that, there's going to be these times of uncertainty and wanting to hold back on changing things within our team, our organization because you know we're waiting for things to to smooth out. And this opportunity for while things are uncomfortable and uncertain to be when you make the changes and you, you be thoughtful on how big those changes are and how you move forward into them. But that's really what start within is all about and the importance of finding, in yourself that you can affect the change and and with the right playbook and tools in hand, you can see it through.
0: And Karen, I, d- I wanted to double stitch on something you, you said there, which was, you know, that we are living through an unprecedented time right now. And I just wanted to say that it's, I've been grateful to have you as a co-pilot through some of this, especially as we've looked at inspecting and exploring our own white privilege together what that means for speaking out around the book and the work that we're doing and supporting others who are struggling through this through this and um and and needing the help and uh how can we be better allies so i just I just want to express a little gratitude on the air that it's been it's been phenomenal to work through this these challenges with you
1: yes, I echo that as well. It's uncomfortable and uh challenging for lack of better words. And just finding other people that are struggling through this is, you know, finding your community and and knowing that you're not alone in doing this kind of work is so
0: important. So, Karen, in closing, how can folks find you and find out more about the book?
1: Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, very active there. So, Karen Holst, you can find me. Um, We also have for the the book, the website is start-within.com. You can find it on Amazon to purchase it. And yeah, we have lots of conversations with people that are are trying to affect change and bring new ideas forward within organizations. So love connecting with people on that front.
0: It's been great having you, Karen. Thank you again. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog, where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com.